Well, we are going to uh, continue our Bible study tonight. Uh, last week, we began a series on the book of James. Uh, we did James chapter 1. And so tonight, we are going to dive into James chapter 2. Um, I am recording this. And so if you miss any parts of it, it'll be posted on our website. The audio part of it um, will be posted. So what we're going to do is I'm going to share uh, a lesson from James chapter 2. And then at the end, uh, we'll break into small groups and uh, have a time to respond to each other um, from the lesson. Uh, normally, I wear my glasses, but when I put on my glasses, it creates a glare. It's just hard to see my face, right? So I'm attempting to allow you to see my face. I don't know if you want to or not, but uh, it's there. Only problem is I just can't read very well. So uh, I'm going to try to read my notes here. Uh, so we are going to continue tonight our study of the book of James, James chapter 2. Last week, uh, we did a little intro, talked about uh, in the New Testament, there are three different James, Jameses, uh, and uh, the James that wrote the book of James was Jesus's brother. If you're not familiar with that story, it's very inspiring, the story of G uh, James. Uh, he goes from being an unbeliever to not only being a believer, be being a leader of believers and writing a book in the Bible. So that's pretty inspiring. Uh, if you missed it, please go to bkchurch.com and you can listen to James chapter one. So James chapter two, here we go. Uh, make sure everything's going. Yep, we're good to go. So James chapter two, uh, let me begin reading in verse one. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor. It is, not the, is it not the rich who are exploiting, exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? Verse 8. If you, are, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself and are doing right, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. I had to go ahead and put my glasses on, sorry. So this is the first 11 verses. We'll start right here. And let's just uh, start with point number one from James chapter two, and that is this. Favoritism is sin. That is what James is teaching here. Favoritism is sin. In fact, if you're wondering well, what exactly does that mean, well, he actually defines it for us right here in this passage. Verse 3, he talks about favoritism is showing special attention 
to somebody based on qualities or characteristics of that person. Also, he says in verse four, uh, favoritism includes discrimination and judgment with evil thoughts. That's what it says. Discrimination and judgment with evil thoughts towards somebody else. And so this is what favoritism is. In verse nine, it says favoritism is a sin. So point number one in James chapter two is just quite frankly, favoritism is a sin. Listen, I know that there are all, we all have things that we like. We all have things that, we, that, that, may, that we're comfortable with. Uh, we all have things that we like to do. We all uh, have things that we favor. But when we start making decisions to show special attention to some people and to discriminate against other people based on the things we like, the things we're comfortable with, that's when, that's when we begin to show favoritism. That's what, uh, that's what favoritism is. Favoritism comes in many forms. Um, the example that James uses here, um, sorry, I'm having technical problems. I think I'm okay. Um, favoritism comes in many forms. The example that, that James uses here is rich versus poor, right? Or what we would call classism. He's talking about people who are shown favor because they're wealthy and people who are shown discrimination or judgment with evil thoughts, he says, because they are poor. This is a form of favoritism called classism. Now, it is worth noting, all right, we, we can't, we got to be careful that we don't just, just cover this with a big brush, a big broad brush. He is not just saying it's wrong to be rich. That's not what he's teaching. In fact, the Bible never teaches that it's wrong to be wealthy. The Bible definitely teaches that wealthy people have problems that uh, non-wealthy people have, um, or, or that, that non-wealthy -pe people don't have, I should say. So he's not saying that it's wrong to be rich. So we got to be careful that we're not, we don't interpret it that way. But what he's saying is when we show special attention to a wealthy person and discrimination to a poor person, that is favoritism. That is a form of favoritism uh, we would call classism. But there's other forms of favoritism. Uh, showing favor over one race than another race is called racism. That is a form of favoritism called Racism. Of course, we have talked a lot about that. Uh, we've we've uh, dug deep into this. Uh, and racism, contrary to what some people think, racism is not just about hatred. Uh, it certainly can be. Racism can be one race hating another race or one person of a race hating another person of a different race. It certainly can have its roots in hatred. But it's very possible that somebody have not not have animosity towards somebody in their heart, but still be racist. It's still possible because they could uh, live in a system or perpetuate a system uh, or do things that promotes or shows favor to one race over another. That's a form of favoritism called racism. Uh, there is another form of racism. Another example is showing favor over different skin tones within a race. Now we talked about that, um, that is called colorism. Uh, we talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Roxanne and Tara did a great lesson on that. 
uh, when we talked uh, a, a little bit about cultural humility. Uh, you, cer you certainly can go back to our website and you can listen to that and hear that. Uh, but that is another form of favoritism. Uh, basing, it, that is within a race, uh, basing giving special treatment to people based on the, uh, the degree of color in their skin. Um, showing favor to family members over others. That's a form of favoritism called nepotism. That is also wrong. Um, usually this word, and usually you see this in the realm of occupations, people getting ahead at work because of uh, the relationship, their family relationship with somebody. But that's showing favoritism to somebody because of their family relationship. Now let me just clarify this. Again, we, we gotta be careful that we're not doing broad brushes here when we're talking about these things. Um, my wife, next to God, is my number one relationship in my life. <laughs> She's sitting right there. She said, excellent answer. Thank you, honey. Uh, my wife is my number one human relationship. Number one. And I say that unapologetically. Her needs trump your needs. Uh, her needs are more important to me than any anybody else's needs. That is not nepotism. That is me living out the God-given role that I have been uh, assigned from the Bible. Uh, I have been joined together. I've become one with my wife. We are one. So she is the most important person in my life. Um, that is not nepotism. Because what James is talking about here, he talks about here uh, in his example, he talks about coming together. When you come together in your meeting. So what he's talking about is in the is, is he's talking specifically about the function of the church within the church. If somebody is receiving favor within the function of the church or within the, the structure of the church because of their, their family relationships, then it becomes nepotism. Absolutely, my wife is going to be more important to me than to everybody else, and that should be the same in your marriages as well. So, uh, a form of favoritism is also nepotism. Showing favor based on age, another form of favoritism called ageism. And so if you show somebody favoritism or show somebody else discrimination based on their age, that is favoritism known as ageism. And it can be old people or young people. In our culture, our society, in this country, uh, we tend to be obsessed with youth. People want to be younger, they want to look younger, they have surgeries to look younger, they want to act up younger. I mean, we just sort of have placed a value on being young. And so we have to be careful that we don't, uh, that we don't be, ha have favoritism based on ageism. Another uh, way of showing favoritism is based on gender. Uh, and that is favoritism called sexism. Uh, that is when, um, when somebody uh, receives favor or somebody else may receive discrimination based on their gender. And that is also a uh, form of favoritism called sexism. And let me just, just take a moment on that topic. Just again, we have to be really careful when we're talking about this that we don't brush this with a huge brush because when it comes to genders, the Bible has two real teachings. One, it teaches that we're all the same in Christ. There is no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female. Like we're all one in, in Christ. But the Bible also at the same time teaches us 
that sometimes there are different roles for the different genders. And for uh, a, a man in, in a particular circumstance, this may be his role. For a woman in a particular circumstance, that may be her role. And so uh, this is an important thing to understand. It may, you may think, well, wait a minute, is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. We're still all equal in Christ, but sometimes we have different roles. The problem I think we can get to in, in trouble is where we read in the Bible what it says about particular roles, like say, say the role between a husband and a wife, a very specific defined role with the husband and, and the wife, and then we translate that into non-marriage situations. Like, you know, in our Bible talk, well, I'm the man, so we're all going to do what I say. Well, unless you're married to everybody in there, that might not necessarily be the case, bro. So that's where we got to be careful, all right? This is what I'm saying is we got to go deep and we got to study this stuff out and we got to look at it, but we got to let the Bible teach us and let the Bible sculpt us. By the way, this question about women's roles in particular has been such a big question mark that uh, uh, the teachers in the International Churches of Christ came together and wrote a paper or a book. Um, and I, I checked with Steve Kennard yesterday just to see, uh, and it's actually been published. Uh, it's an in-depth study on the biblical role of women in the church and what the Bible teaches. And you can find it at IPI uh, publications. I've not read it yet, um, but uh, my wife just said it's 100 pages. Uh, so it's a lot. It's a very in-depth study, something that we won't get into now. But my point is this, favoritism is a sin. And favoritism shows itself in many different forms. I've just given you some example. But no matter what form favoritism comes in, uh, whenever we are showing special attention to somebody because of their characteristics or their qualities and showing discriminations or biases or prejudices or judgments to somebody else because of their qualities or characteristics, we are guilty of favoritism. And this is a sin. Uh, the Bible teaches more here in James about it. And let me read this to you. He goes a little deeper here in verse eight. Let me, I'll reread this. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, it stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a law breaker. Okay, so what is he saying? He's elaborating a little bit more on the sin of favoritism here. And what is he saying? I've really wrestled with this, and I've really tried to dig into this. Here is the best way I can explain what he's saying. And let me, let me go back to, to racism for a moment. And let me just explain this. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were having a Bible talk leaders meeting. Uh, and I was just, we were asking, you know, everybody how they're feeling. And people were taking turns sharing about things going on. The pandemic, uh, the racial injustices, the conversations we were having. We were just talking about this. And one sister said, uh, she said, I just... She said, I just don't understand why we don't say Black Lives Matter. Like as a church, why don't we just say it? Black Lives Matter. Because Black Lives Matter. Let me just say it. Uh, and I've been 
thinking about her. I've been thinking about that comment and I've been wrestling with that and I've been trying to, to, to figure it out and asking myself, yeah, why, why don't we say that? And I, honestly, I've been amazed. I've been amazed why people won't say Black Lives Matter. Um, instead, people uh, will sometimes respond or often respond with, well, all lives matter. You know, that is a typical response. And that reply on some level, surface, you know, superficially sound, wow, pretty lofty and wow, okay, all lives matter. The truth is that reply is incredibly dismissive and false. All lives matter. It's dismissive and it's false. Like if my wife, for example, comes to me and she says, she says to me, she says, Phil, I just don't feel loved by you. I just don't feel like I matter, like I'm important, that you love me. And if I respond to her with, well, honey, you know I'm a Christian. I love everybody. Like, okay, I mean, you don't have to be married very long to know. That is a horrible answer to that question. My wife is sitting right there, like, thinking how, uh, laughing at the absurdity of that. I mean, can you imagine? That is a total rookie mistake to respond to your, your wife, somebody that, that, that you say you love, sharing how unloved they feel, and you responding, well, I just love everybody. And it's terrible. Because number one, you're dismissing her heart. And number two, you're taking no responsibility. And so the same is true. Uh, the same is true when it comes to that response, all lives matter. You're, you're, you're dismissing the conversation and taking no responsibility. Not to mention, it's just false. You got somebody standing right in front of you saying, I don't feel loved. And you're saying, no, I love everybody. No, there's one person in front of you that's saying they don't feel love, so you don't love everybody. That's, that's craziness of that response. Now, I'm not telling you, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but I'm saying all of that because I'm trying to help us understand that that's exactly what James is saying in this passage. He's saying this exact same thing. Listen to it again. Let me read it to you again. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Good job. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, I love everybody, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. That's what it says. That's what you can't say. You do it all right and not do one part of it, or not do one part of it right, because you're guilty then of all of it. That's what he's saying. The point is this. If you say, look how great I am, I love everybody, but you walk around and in your heart, you have biases, prejudice, discrimination, judgment, and you're showing special attention to certain people or any other form of favoritism, then you and I are guilty of the entire law. That's what it's teaching. That's what it's teaching us right here. It's like he says, it's like a murderer saying, well, at least I'm not an adulterer. Oh, okay. Well, then it's okay then. No, no. 
If you break any part of the law, you've broken the whole law. And that's what he's teaching us here. Favoritism is a sin. You can't walk around pretending like everything is great and you love everybody when you have these biases and prejudice and isms in your heart. You have to repent or you're guilty of the whole, of breaking the whole law. That's what James is teaching. It's pretty straightforward, pretty intense stuff. So, so then, what is the solution? Phil, I'm glad you asked. Let's read on. James chapter 2, verse 12. Verse 12, it says, continuing with our text here, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedoms, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Did you catch that? He's saying, first of all, favoritism is a sin, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 4, he says, favoritism is defined as discrimination and judgment, judgment with evil thoughts. Verse 13, then, he says, but mercy triumphs over, or mercy is greater than judgment. So what is he saying? He's saying the answer, the solution to overcoming favoritism in our hearts, the solution to overcoming favoritism in any form in our church is what? Mercy. That's what he's teaching. It's mercy. We have to have mercy. How do we overcome uh, prejudice in the church? How do we overcome bias in the church? Racism, colorism, sexism, all the isms. The answer is mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's go back to, to James's original example. The poor man walks in. What if they had shown him mercy? What if instead of you know, making him stand in the back or sit on the floor by my smelly feet, what if they gave him the seat of honor? What if they showed mercy to him? What about the rich guy who walked in? What if instead of treating him with special arrangement, special, what if they showed him mercy? Well, you say, well, how, how would you show mercy to a rich guy? He's a rich guy. Well, go back to chapter one. Chapter one, James clearly says that rich people, like their, their richness is coming to an end. It's all going to be gone. In fact, so they might be people who need more mercy because of the traps of their wealth and their possessions. Mercy is the solution to the sin of favoritism. That's, read it. Read, dude, I've been wrestling with this. I've been looking, I'm like, is this what he's saying? This is what James is teaching us. Go back, look at it. What is mercy, you ask? Mercy is having the ability to cause harm but instead choosing compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. That's what mercy is. You have the ability to cause harm to somebody, but instead you choose compassion or kindness or forgiveness. Causing, you have the ability. I, I mean, that's sort of the implication of mercy is that you are in a position to hurt somebody. You could do it if you want to. And that hurts, well, it, it could be one of two things. It could be deserved hurt, 
maybe they've sinned against you. Uh, maybe they've broken the law. You know, maybe they're just, they're, they're wallowing in the consequences of their own sins, right? I mean, so maybe the hurt that you can uh, put on them is deserved. Could be. It could be. Maybe the hurt uh, is not deserved. Maybe the hurt is just uh, discrimination from your biases or um, your own prejudice. Maybe it's just a hurt because you don't include them in, 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 in your life because of your own biases. So whether the hurt is something they deserve or something they do not, it doesn't matter. Either way, mercy is when you're in the position to, to cause hurt or cause harm in some way, and you don't, and you don't. Instead, you choose compassion and kindness and forgiveness. That's, that is what mercy is. And James, I mean, go back again. I encourage you to read this. I've been reading it. I've been wrestling with it. He's saying mercy is the solution to overcoming favoritism. And we need to give mercy. Because in verse 13, and I love sometimes the Bible does this, that gives you these little jabs that just, mm, we need to give mercy because verse 13, it says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That's convicting. That is convicting. You want a little motivation? Well, if here's your motivation, the Bible says. If you don't give mercy, then judgment without mercy is waiting for you. That, that scares me a little bit. That, that scares me straight and makes me want to go, okay, I really, you know, no matter how I, how I feel like I might have been, whatever might have happened to me, I need to be a person of mercy. So let's close this out. The end of the chapter here in James chapter two, verse 14, it says, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures uh, was fulfilled that says Abraham believed and, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous 
for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Point number three, I think is pretty clear. Favoritism is a sin. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So point number three, what are you going to do? Right? Isn't that the point that he's making here? So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He summarizes it there in verse 26. He says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You have faith? Good, he says. That's a great start. But according to verse 19, that only puts you in the same category as Satan. So having faith just puts you in the same, same category as Satan. No, we got to show our faith by our deeds, by the things that we do for God. Now, let me, uh, let me note something here uh, from this text as well that I think is important. Um, faith will be demonstrated differently depending on the person. You know, there are some things that the Bible says very clearly that we all just have to do. So we all have to do it, and it says that we do it, no questions done. But on a day-to-day -day basis, on, as, as we live out our lives, sometimes faith will be, will be displayed differently depending on the person. I mean, he gives two examples of people, Abraham and Rahab, and honestly, they, could be not, they couldn't be any more different than, than each other. I mean, one is a man, one is a woman, and they lived at different times. They both are equated as people of faith, even though their faith was demonstrated in different ways. So the thing we got to be careful is we got to be careful not to judge each other by our deeds. We got to be careful about that. You know, there was a time, and, and for some of you who are older in the church, you probably remember, remember this. There was a time where we, um, you know, often we would tack on uh, little things when people are studying the Bible. Like, you know, the Bible teaches you got to repent and get baptized. That's what it says. Uh, but then we would be like, okay, for you, repenting is um, you need to go share your faith with seven people. Uh, once you have shared your faith with seven people, then I will feel good that you have repented enough that I will baptize you, right? And <laughs> I'm, we might not have said it that clearly, but we really, you know, we really, we really, we might have, actually, some of us might have said it that clearly, actually. That's, but the truth is, it all comes from this idea that, yeah, we need to repent. We need to show our rep repentance. Is words. It's, it's, it's a change of heart, and it's accompanied by action. So, so the idea is there, but we got to be careful when we start assessing and assigning what faithful deeds looks like in another person. Don't be mistaken. There is a judge of our deeds. In fact, look at verse 21. It says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? And then you look down at verse 24. It says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do. So there is somebody out there looking down on the deeds, considering them righteous. There's somebody up there making a judgment. But let me give you a hint. That person is not me. That person is not you. That person who considered them righteous and considers us right, who is sitting back and assessing the faithfulness of our deeds, is who? It's God. In fact, 
right there in verse 23, there's a reference there, quote, actually, of Genesis 15, verse 6. And if you go back and read Genesis 15, uh, verse 6, it's talking about God. God is the one who makes the assessment. So what's my point? My point is this. We are serving an audience of one. An audience of one. And that is God, the ultimate assessor of our deeds. Let us please him with our actions. Let us please him with the things that we do by faith. Now, that doesn't mean we can't talk about it with each other. And that doesn't mean that if you think that I'm being faithless in my deeds, you can tell me, absolutely. You can say, Phil, I just don't think that's faithful enough. I think your faith is greater than that. You can tell me. I may or may not listen. Hopefully, I'll be humble. But, uh, but, but ultimately, God is the one who considers us righteous there or not. So we got to remember that. Remember, uh, the point is this. We're not earning our way to heaven. No, no, we are not earning our way to heaven by works. Instead, because we are going to heaven, let us let our faith move us to do great deeds to the honor of our heavenly father. Favoritism is a sin. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? These are the lessons from James 2.